We are happy to have you with us here on po- the Wits End podcast. And today we have just the old boring hosts, myself and George. But we do have an accompanist, an unnamed and uncredited, so to speak, <laughs> accompanist in the background. George, tell me about him. Yeah, that's my uh, three-year-old son, David, who is uh, playing with his Paw Patrol tower. So if you guys hear bizarre sounds, that's what's going on. Okay, well. our audience today. We're privileged to have David as he is on guard, so to speak, and uh, he's he's preparing. He's he's uh, always vigilant in the background, keeping an eye on things. So we're glad to have him. Uh, so I looked in the mailbag, and guess what I found? What did you find? I found nothing. There was nothing there. There were ju- there were ads <laughs> I from. Expected it. <laughs> <laughs> They're from ads. I actually from... thought something came in, man. You set me <laughs> off there. I'm sorry. I, I I don't mean to discourage you, but I mean, imagine my discouragement as I went to the bag and I reached in and I thought, you know, there was no there was no corn, there was no silver cup, there was nothing, and uh, the the only thing that I actually had was. Um, the only thing I had in there was ads from Twitter. There were ads from Twitter. And so if you want to contact us uh, in the <laughs> at Wits End podcast, you can contact us using the email address, witsendguys at gmail.com. And we also monitor um, YouTube. But we did have a comment from YouTube. Um, I think you read that. It was very, it was very good. There were um, more than one, but there was one particularly that asked a couple different questions. And um, I don't know if you want to address that at all, or um, it, it's if you want to read the comment, you can go to YouTube. And it was the uh, episode twenty-one, and um, it was it was I thought it was a good comment, but it's not necessary that we uh, that we hammer it out today. We'll uh, we'll continue working on that and get get back with you, if you will. So today we're going to continue on in our Bible commentary in the Book of Genesis, uh, Brother George. Why don't you introduce that to us today? So, let's see, we are Genesis chapter 2, verses 16, 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And one of the things I want to pick up uh, on here is, the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So the kind of death and the time of death that's involved. (coughs) Forgive me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and apparently that was a question that was being asked early on in Christianity. I found Augustine discusses that in his book, City of God. He says, but when the soul itself forsook the body, worn out with the passage of time and exhausted with the weight of years, another death came into man's experience, the death about which God had spoken to him when still pronouncing punishment on his sin, saying, you are earth and into earth you will go. And so by those two deaths, the first death was completed, the death of the whole man. And so the death of the body and the, uh, the death of... Uh, the soul because granted they didn't die that day uh physically sorry david papa they didn't die physically that day and i'd love to hear your thoughts about that the way i've handled this is that's the day that they were unplugged from god like they were plugged into the power source and then that same day in that 24-hour day they got unplugged from god so there's a death there in the sense that there's a disconnect but the battery still has enough juice that it's going to live out um, until it dies out, once having been disconnected. And it dies out in the day of their actual physical death. So which so 
they die spiritually on the day they sin and they die physically when the battery runs out of, runs out of juice. And the other thing that I, I found interesting, I saw a few years ago reading my Bible, is that in Genesis chapter 5, you read that the longest lived man was Methuselah who lived 969 years. And everybody kind of, there's a bunch of people that come up to a thousand and die short of a thousand. And it's as if like a thousand is the limit that nobody can reach. Uh, you know, it's like the speed of light thing. And then when you, I remember Peter says that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years. So in that sense, even literally, nobody lives out a millennial day as a result of their sin. Those, that's basically the, the, uh, the summary of my thoughts. What do mm. you got? Well, I think, of course, um, the question is a good one. Is a person really dead if they're not? I do think that he says, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And so the day being a thousand years, that's a good, that's one way of saying, yes, the day they're going to die within that day. Uh, but I, I'm reminded of Paul in Romans 7. He said, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Um, so oh, he, was, he was obviously not dead when Jesus Christ arrested him on the road to Damascus. He was able to communicate, and which, by the way, kind of puts the lie to this idea that you have to be regenerated um, before you can even be contacted by God, um, because he says to him, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And it is, here's, the, uh, here's Saul kicking against the pricks of the Holy Spirit and yet communicating with God. And um, in, in the book of Genesis, the first man, we talked about this last week, is communicating with God. And so who is, who dies? What dies? What is the spirit that dies? Here, Paul is, is alive, and then the commandment comes. The commandment says, thou shalt not, and he shalt. And as a result of that, he died. Which is, by the way, the place of what we might call the age of accountability. When you know what God said, and you do it, it even though you... Even though God said no, you do it knowing that it's wrong. That's what that's where sin revives. Um, so it's it's like it's in you. Like we all carry around uh, bacteria, but we're not susceptible to it on a regular basis because our immune system is strong. But uh, there comes a point when that immune system gets weakened and that bacteria takes over. It's kind of like the sin nature. Uh, it revived, and that's when he died spiritually. So that's. That's how I see it. That's a great, you know, I didn't even have that cross-reference uh, in my notes. That's why I love doing this. That's great. The, 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 when you, where you quote Paul is saying, when the commandment came, came, sin revived and I died. That's a great way to show it. And when, when Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ. Uh, it's interesting how his spirit died. So he, there, there, man is more than just a spirit. Um, but now the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So now he has the Spirit of God in him, and that is his life. So he was dead, but when he, after he died, what happens? He's not raised back to the old Paul, the, like the old mm -hmm. innocent Adam. He's raised back to the incorruptible Praise Son God. of God. I love it. Mm. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, uh, he says that we were sinned, we were dead in, in trespasses and sins. Verse one. Now we say we were dead, we're dead spiritually, 
I think we discussed this a little bit earlier. You know, we're dead spiritually, but you find verses where even the lost man's spirit is still the candle of the Lord and it still has light. I think sometimes we've read maybe too much into what spiritual deaths is, death is. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I'm still studying, still discovering. Yeah. Exactly well, it's be- what happened to our spirit and soul when we sinned. Right. And, and the distinction between spirit and soul. And again, right. listeners, this is on you. We're asking yeah. you <laughs> to solve this for us. Um, we've been looking at it. And why? It's because we, it's again with the scripture. The, the thing is not, you know, if I can just get the, I remember there was a, a friend of mine who was, he was really earnest in trying to learn the Bible. And he's like, I've got it all up on the wall. I, I've got it. You know, I'm trying to do a complete chronology of everything sounds like, in sounds the Bible. Sounds like me. I like, I wanted to meet that guy. <laughs> and, you know, the idea is I can get this thing under my thumb. It's just a matter of time. And I think that that is the right spirit. That's the right attitude. And yet the paradox of living in this finite body where yeah. I just can't, and yet I have to but I can't, but I have to. It's, it, that's what I see. And it's similar in this, uh, the spirit and soul thing. We're trying to figure out what is the distinction between spirit and soul. And in some ways it's like, oh, duh, it's easy. But in this case, okay, if the spirit of man dies, the, what, is, what is the spirit of man here in Proverbs, the candle of the Lord? What is that? And it's not like there is one side of us that was just we made ourselves and then there's one side that god made us it's all connected to a certain degree even the body is a corruption of what god originally made and so where does one stop and the other begin that's what the real question is and and uh it's fun to try to figure it out yeah that's uh we're the investigators there's something uh, something else i i that uh, arrests my attention there is that i find it interesting that the lord it's it's not so much that god says in the day that you eat thereof, I shall kill you. He says, in the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt die. I think there's more here than just syntax or a way of saying things. I think the consequence where the Lord was warning Adam is the logical outcome of Adam's very nature as dependent upon God for its life. You know, God being the source of life, when you sin, you become corrupt. You cannot have fellowship and you, you basically get, you, you unplug. And God is life in Deuteronomy 30.30. He's holy. And so when a man commits his first sin, which is the opposite of holiness, he by default disconnects from the holiness of God. So, so the, the, the judgment, you know, I say this to, to, yes, God actively judges people, but it's important to note for people too that the Lord is warning us of the natural consequences of sin. It's mm-hmm. not that he's an angry God that wants to kill you. Because sometimes that's how the devil is going to present um, God that, Oh, you ate of a fruit, so he's going to kill you. Well, that's like saying, you know, my son crossed the traffic, so I'm going to kill him. I'm, you know, it's the car that's going to hit him. It's, it's the eating of a poisoned fruit that's going to kill him. It's not so much that God will kill you. It's the, it's the logical outcome of disobedience that lands mm-hmm. you in sin. The the, it, the, the it's the, the knowledge of evil, right? Um, that is going to kill you, right? The, and, um, yeah, go ahead. And I, I was going to say, I think he, you know, he said in Romans five twelve, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. It was the sin that brought death into the world. 
Um, and he said, as sin hath reigned unto death, right. even so right. might grace reign. So what put death on the throne? What made man mortal? It was sin. Sin, yeah. And um, the Lord said, if you choose that, you, are, you can't be one with me. You cannot fellowship with me because I do have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Right. And, and so when you choose to sin, you're choosing to say goodbye to God. Yeah. Death is a built-in, con- it's built into the very nature of the... Of the and death is never annihilation. It's separation. Just like, yeah, you know, point. scientists yeah. say matter can neither be created nor destroyed. It's, it simply changes from one form into another. And that's the right. way it is with, as, as humans. We change from, from one form to the other. Yeah. I, <clears throat> that uh, brings up another point. We didn't have time to, to hit it last time. Uh, and answering the satanic charge of the Satanists that in their, in their uh, reinterpretation, inversion really of the Bible narrative, they teach that, you know, the serpent is Jehovah. Basically, the serpent is the liberator of mankind. This Jehovah God was keeping mankind in bondage, limiting our access to knowledge. But the serpent gave us the knowledge that emancipated us. And it's important to note that God did not forbid man access to knowledge as the Satanists falsely charge. He forbade him access to the knowledge of evil. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the knowledge of evil that God did not want us to have, not unqualified knowledge. The way a father forbids his son access to poison is the way that God forbade Adam and Eve access to the knowledge of evil. A man's mm-hmm. problem is, and, and man's problem is that he cannot, and I think here's the difference. I mean, God has that knowledge. He says it. He says, behold, the man has become as one of us and to know good and evil. God can know not an evil without being touched by it, be, without being contaminated by it. Habakkuk says, thou art of pure eyes and to behold evil and canst not look on, look on iniquity. Jesus said, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. We, on the other hand, when we know evil, we become tainted by it. That's our problem. It's almost like you can't drop a drop of black ink into crystal clear water. Those two cannot come in contact without the crystal clear water being colored by uh, by the ink and being corrupted. Hmm. But as far as knowledge, God wants us to have knowledge. He's the source of all knowledge that mankind has. Uh, uh, Psalm 94 verse 10 talks about God. It says, he that teacheth man knowledge. He teaches us knowledge. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel says about God that he giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. We get saved by the knowledge of uh, uh, Jesus Christ by the knowledge of God. So the Lord is not against us having knowledge. He, we, he wants us to have knowledge. He wants us to have knowledge of the material world, scientific knowledge, mental knowledge, whatever it is. It's specifically knowledge of evil that God did not want us to have. Hmm. Yes, wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And another thing to think about... great cross-reference. Bible believers think about the difference between sin and evil... Um, what's interesting about that is in the scripture, there is a distinction uh, in the King James Bible between evil and sin. Because, you know, is there, can there be evil in the city and the Lord hath not done it? I make peace and create evil. It's something to think about uh, that distinction because what they were really going to be facing with is the consequences of their sin. That was the knowledge that they were going to gain. Um, 
the sin was taking of the of the fruit because he said don't take it right so it wasn't that they were eating sin in that sense um they were eating forbidden knowledge and the forbidden knowledge was nothing more than the effects of what sin would do in their life how it would affect them how it would kill them and their their progeny and that that's a distinction when you think about as you said you know if i i want to know everything in the house mom and if you don't let me know and see and touch everything in the house then you're not really giving me freedom okay well does that include the the rat poison that we keep in the cabinet i want to know which i everything. actually which i actually ate as a oh did you yeah so yeah and yeah so yeah, one of my one of my point. sister's aints ate something like that uh lie lie soap or something like that Oof. like yeah something along those lines yeah it could be really really dangerous but yeah that's you know so here's the thing george your mom is uh was being selfish and she was being <laughs> small-minded and narrow-minded in fact trying to very controlling mom because she did not want you to eat that poison doesn't she know that mankind deserves to have freedom of choice just let me figure it out myself and if that's the case then why do we have uh traffic cops why do we have stop stop signs why do we have guardrails right you, there's a lot of yeah, things are trying me, to keep us you just made me think of something that poison i was maximum five years old it was uh it was time of civil war so it was mixed in with the um, uh, dry milk, powdered milk. My my first glass of liquid milk was I was nine years old in Canada. Wow! But but that's just because of the Civil War. But um, I mean, the farmers had access to liquid milk, but it was war, so it was. So I grew up on powdered milk, and I remember the reason why I ate it was because the rat poison was a beautiful uh, crystal blue, very shiny, mixed oh, right. in with that white powder. And I thought, wow, this is some kind of new I don't know candy. Yeah, needle. I think was the was the brand. I'm like, that's a new brand, a new version of the milk. You know, you know. It, for me, it was marshmallows inside the cereal, is what mm -hmm. it was. And oh, okay. I was I was attracted by the color, and somebody, somebody could come along because there's the charges leveled at God. Well, you're making it by singling out that one tree. You're making it that much more tempting. And one of the fallacies that's happening there is you're reading back our sinful nature as it is now into our pre-fall disposition that's our disposition now if somebody tells me don't touch the white the wet paint mm. i all the more want to touch it but that's because right. of my post-fall nature we don't mm. know that our pre-fall nature was necessarily like that so that's one fallacy but the other point i just clicked is somebody could have charged my parents why did you make it or or the company why did you make that um, poison so attractive looking uh, but in reality they were making it like that so you could distinct so wise people could distinguish it from regular milk and not eat it it was supposed to stand out hmm. you know yeah and i wonder what it does to the rats uh if it attracts them even more and if that's the case it goes back to what you said um way back when that concept of the garden of eden being a dragon trap yeah you remember yeah, is that what yeah, you called it yeah yeah i, I took that for, i got that from gary stearman Give credit where credit is due from uh, Prophecy Watchers. That's a great thought. Yeah. I, uh, I know, great. <laughs> the, the Lord knows. He knows how to get because it. Is it any? Is it any wonder the Lord knew exactly where the serpent would be? 
he would be by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, talk about who's who's tempting who here, in a sense. Yeah, um, that's right. That's Job forty-one, or yeah, forty-one-one. Yeah, or forty-one. Yeah, and 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 it starts out in the beginning there in Job chapter. What is that? Chapter two. Hast thou considered my servant Job? Like, who's the one that pointed Job out to to Satan? It was God pointing him out to Satan. And that's why I say this whole thing of of suffering. The Lord's turned this thing around. Um, and and he, you know who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So what we would say is, oh, how could God allow that? And the Lord said, what if I allowed that on purpose because I am going to ultimately bring glory to myself through that? And I, I was preaching last night about um, Revelation fourteen and the wrath of God and poured out the winepress uh, is full and he cast the, the vine of the earth, you know, the clusters of the vine of the earth in the wine press and, mm-hmm. um, over and over again in scripture, all the way, Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, Joel, and you name it. There's so, there's so many different ones. Nahum talking about how the Lord is going to tread the wine press. And, but you think about the wrath of God, the wrath of God was never seen more. If I was going to take you to one place in the Bible, that has the greatest example of the wrath of God. It has to be the cross. Yeah, because the most innocent was punished the mo- was punished to the greatest degree. Um and yet it's wow. the same place where too. the love of God is seen more than any other place. You know, the what does he say the, the oh the depth of the riches and and knowledge and wisdom of God. How unsearchable are his ways. How unsearchable are his what What's the word? And his, his ways past finding out. Finding out. His, um, it, you know, I was, when he comes down, the Bible says his, his raiment, his garment is, is dipped in blood. In fact, in there, Isaiah it talks about how all of his garment is, is covered with blood. And he's, he is stamping out, he's treading out the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And, you know, you can look at that and say, man, how, what in the world, what kind of a vindictive God? But may I remind you that same Jesus Christ, whose blood is spattered with the blood, whose coat and garment is spattered with the blood of his enemies. The last time he was here, his clothes were spattered with blood too, but they were, they were covered with his own blood. They, they, they scourged him and they put his robe on him after he was scourged. And that thing was soaked. And, you know, before you jump and say, I can't believe a God who would do this. Remember, anything that God does to someone else, he allowed others to do to him for millennia. And not only did he allow them to do that, he chose to do that to save them from an, from uh, a death that's horrible. It's not an inevitable death because he gives them an opportunity to, to repent. Even in the, in the tribulation, you've got the 144,000, you've got the, the angel with the everlasting gospel and God is constantly saying, stop, 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 stop. And, uh, but he has to allow for the choice. That's the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was, uh, maybe a, a compliment to that. We note the consequence to the disobedience that it was death. And again, um, many falsely charge God, but there's also a consequence for obedience, <laughs> Mm. Which, I mean, he, he was free to eat of the tree of life whenever he wanted. And the consequence for obedience was eternal life. Uh, whether they were, I, I, I don't know, 
I've wondered about this actually. I think Pastor Chad Reese down in Michigan, uh, when I went with the men, asked me uh, that question. Uh, he about what do you think was the purpose of the tree of life for Adam and Eve before the sin? Because after the sin, we know what the purpose is. They would have it would have healed them in some way, and they would have lived on forever. Uh, of course, in corrupted in corrupted bodies, but they would have lived on forever. The Lord says. So, why do you think it was there before this, the fall? Well, it, it's a great point. If it, which brings up another question. You know, we always think, well, man, mankind was going to live forever, uh, anyhow. And if if that is the case, then you have two options. One, I mean it. The tree of life would challenge that assumption that man was going to live forever, but but death came as a result of sin, so uh, it had to it had to be that mankind was going to be alive. I think that tree of life, um, it, it I don't know. It's a great thought because if you say the tree of life is there because God knew that man was going to sin, yeah, but He kicked them out of the garden, so they couldn't take of the tree of life. But if death came as a result of sin, then why did you need to have a tree of life if there were no death? Yeah, we had a good discussion about that with him and, and the group. And I actually remember having what I thought was a good answer, but I cannot recall it right now. So maybe because I know I think he listens in sometimes. Maybe he'll remind me. Um, but yeah, what is, have you ever heard anything about that? No. No, I, 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 it is kind of, there's something in the way in the back of my mind, but it's, it's not clear to me. Um, I mean, we obviously know the tree of life is for the healing of the nations in, uh -huh. in the end during the millennium. But other than that, I don't know. I mean, or maybe, maybe, we should, maybe, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, maybe we should cut all this part out so we don't sound stupid. Yeah, <laughs> there'd be a lot of parts to cut out. We, It'd be a five-minute very short podcast. Yeah, um, maybe it wasn't for Adam. Maybe it was to keep because he was supposed to keep the garden. I think maybe that was the line of thinking I had. He was supposed to keep the garden. Something is on the outside trying to get in to get to that tree. Just like Adam himself is forbidden from accessing the tree once he sins, and so maybe it was just. Adam was actually the protector of the tree. It wasn't so much that he needed to eat of it. He just had to guard it. Well, and that's what the cherubim ended up doing. Um, Correct. Keep the way of the tree of life. So, it, you know, retrospectively, you can look back and say it needed to be guarded. It needed to be kept. And maybe that was part of the, you know, thou uh, to dress it and to keep it. Uh, because that's the second mention you have of keep is after Adam is appointed the, the job of dressing and keeping the garden, he gets kicked out and the cherubim are now keeping the way of the tree of life. So that, that could be a possibility. I like it. I like it. We'll, we'll put that up, put that in our uh, someday maybe journal, if you know what I mean. I'm going to try to find, yeah, I, I try to find my notes. Uh, uh... I'm gonna put that. I'm gonna put that in my notes. Okay. So, again, with the with the Bible words, it's it's such a challenge 
uh, to unlearn so much. So much of what we have to do is unlearn what we think words mean, and that might be one for you. So keeping is introduced in the Bible as guarding, protecting, and you know you can see that in the you know uh, the ancient battles where they had a keep that the army would come into and um, they would be protected in a circular tower type of a thing that was ultimately fortressed, uh, fortified. And, and that's, that's what the, you know, what the Lord uses, how he uses the word keep. And it kind of changes it. So when the Lord wants you to keep his commandments, it's, it's not just a matter of doing them. It's to, to guard against anything that would harm those commandments. And, um, so, um, I want to tell you a story about, uh, the story I want to tell you was um, it was about uh, it was around New Year's Eve a few years ago when I was working at a, at a rescue mission, and um, I preached. I think I had mentioned that Adam and Eve, you know, were in this mess because um, of Adam and Eve eating the tree, and the world scorns the idea that Genesis chapter three is the literal source of our problems. You know, they at at best some people will look at it, interpret it as a an allegory, you know, and strictly an allegory, purely symbolic, because of Porphyry and Clement of Alexandria and then Origen, they introduced that Greek thought into a Bible interpretation, which the Roman Catholic Church picked up. So it's like they, they scorned the idea, like, you know, there was really two people that ate of a tree, an actual tree. Uh, and so working as a counselor around, I was a junior member of the team. And so Christmas time, kind of, I was alone with 40 men addicted, addicted to drugs. Their lives had been ruined. Some of them were like vice presidents of banks. Mm. Um, anything, everything you can imagine, and their lives were ruined. I mean, some they ran businesses. Uh, one guy's life, his millionaire, destroyed his life because of a twenty-dollar rock crack. So they were kind of mocking the idea a little bit. And I gathered them, all forty of them, around Christmas time, and I said, uh, um, <clears throat> I asked, what was the cause that led them to the rescue mission? Uh, and everyone duly noted the, the, you know, the evident answer that it was the, the drugs. Then I asked him about the form of those drugs, which is uh, mostly powder. Then I asked him about the origins of that powder. And they kind of thought a bit and they said, well, you know, plants, you know, like the coca plant. And that's when I pointed out that their lives had been ruined because they put a plant in their mouth that they weren't supposed to spit. <laughs> and it hit them. You know? like, you're mocking the idea that literally Adam and Eve ate of a tree and it messed them up. And your life got messed up because of a plant that you, you put, you ate of something you weren't supposed to put in your mouth or injected mm. in your veins, you know, because we found a faster way to deliver the payload. But that's just a different mechanism of delivery that we mm. found, right? Uh, Eve could have, uh, could have extracted the fruit and shot it into her veins and she still would have inherited death. Mm. But, and you should have seen the faces, like when they suddenly realized that they had lived out Genesis 3 literally in their own life while mocking the notion hmm. it was glorious that's incredible <laughs> it was glorious <laughs> not it, it just to help them see like how real the bible is hmm. well and honestly I, I i think for you and for me uh and, and any bible believer that's listening it, it it's the moment when you realize wait a second okay so you're saying this thing is actually true this is actually true and that there's a real god behind this book and he is actually speaking through this book. And this book constitutes reality. 
Yeah. And as everything you're living else, it today and in, in your, your life in this day and age. Right. Everything else is distorted. This book is giving me the straight pitch. Like this is what is actually true. And until you come to that point, when everything else is kind of like, well, you know, and by the way, the devil is heavily invested in you relativizing the words of God. Um, he really wants you to doubt it, to question it. That's why he started from the very beginning with, yea, hath God said, get someone to question the very God that they've been taught or the God that they've heard about. And if he can do that, he's well on his way to getting you separated from God because that's what he really wants to do. So that's my, my wife just said to me this morning, and I, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of a shoot from the hip type of a statement, but I was talking about how if I go for days where I don't put the Bible first, I don't put God first, it it affects me in ways that I I don't go out and start shooting people, I don't go and do drugs, but it affects my spirit and it affects my um, the the way that I think. It affects um, the way that I interact with other people. And my wife says, I think there's a spirit just to try to keep us from reading our Bible. A, a spirit that his main job is just to keep me from the Bible. Now, I don't know if that's if that's true or not. I don't know for sure if it's true, uh, but I know this. The devil certainly is against me reading the Bible. And so think about, just, just look back on your life um, this past week or past month, and look at it in the light of Genesis chapter 2, where the Lord said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And ask yourself this question. Is my phone uh, a type of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You say, that's crazy. Well, I mean, you might be holding an apple. I don't know. Um and if it if it is, maybe is there is there some kind of is there some kind of connection there? Because that's what we're faced with almost every day. This choice of whether we're going to listen to God's word or whether we're going to check out this hidden information, uh, something that kind of excites me, gets me thinking about the, uh, and even like, I'm not going to look at bad stuff, but I don't mind hearing about people who do look at bad stuff. You know, I don't listen to bad music, but. You know, I heard about recently uh, someone listening to a, um, a a Christian group that basically rips off. It, it's it's literally a parody group of rock songs, and they take it and they try to make it, you know, Christian words. I think the group is called the Apologetics, and um, they they take all the famous rock songs and they try to uh, fit them in with lyrics that even rhyme with the original lyrics, things like that, and. And I understand, you know, Apollos, he, he, he spoke and taught diligently, only knowing the baptism of John, and, and Aquila and Priscilla came by and said, hey, let me explain the way of God more perfectly to you. I think there's possibly a, a God can use people who they don't know any better. They're just doing the best they can. But this particular message, same with Adam and Eve, this is directed to people who do know better, people who have been raised around the things of God, people who have known the Lord, as as Paul said, Timothy, from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Let me ask you this. Is there a, have you come to the point where you have refused 
to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, like uh, like Moses did. Uh, Moses was raised as a young person. He you know he was weaned by his mother and taught the word of God, the words and the the ways of God. And they had to, there had to come a point in his life where he said, "That's it. I'm done. I'm done." And then maybe you have had a time like that, and maybe you're back to another time. Like that happened years ago and you follow the Lord and maybe it's time to go back to where you were before. It's like a, have you ever read the screw tape letters? I haven't. I, uh, I, think I have read some of them. Talking to a junior devil. Yes. To, yeah. How to prevent someone from, you know, walking with the Lord and how to ruin their Christian life type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's talk about a conundrum. Uh, C.S. Lewis is one of those for me. And I don't know whether he is an, an Augustine. He seems like an Augustine to me and the type of man who has a lot of good things. And yet there's a lot of craziness there as well. Um, yeah. I, I was just going to ask you about that because um, I hear him. I've never read him. I read the Chronicles of Narnia, um, but I've never read any of his books. I've just mm -hmm. heard so many quotes of him. Uh, and then I hear him quoted in apologetics often. I've read his excellent article against textual criticism actually where he defends the veracity of the bible it's brilliant really um yeah i all often people who like basically call the bible a myth i refer them i refer them to that article um well but, send me that link i'll put it in the i'll put it in the uh the comments or you can put it in the in the description of the video okay and uh um so, but I recently came across some, something quickly, some Christian basically exposing, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, well, C.S. Lewis, I was going to say City Stud, C.S. Lewis. So now I know there's a lot of, there's like, you know, people who excel at being heresy hunters and under rock, they, every, under every rock, they find a heresy and Charles Spurgeon is even in hell. But, you know, knowing C.S. Lewis's background, I'm like, well, I could, I could kind of imagine maybe where, what is it that they saw that that may be uh, unbiblical. Mm -hmm. but I, well, I think never... you could do the same thing with guys like Martin Luther. Um, mm. You know, th there's, there's a lot of things to criticize there. But swimming in the water that he was in, uh, he, did, he did fairly well. And I think uh, he was basically an atheist, uh, C.S. Lewis was, coming out of the Great War. And then he, uh, you know, he kind of came back to the church, quote unquote. The Anglican Church, which of mm. course is you know uh, a knockoff version of the Catholic Church, but mm -hmm. there's certainly more freedom um, and there's more interest in the Scripture. I would say, generally speaking, there's more free mm -hmm. interest in the Scripture in the Anglican Church than there is in the Catholic Church. Um, as far as the veracity of Scripture, it would be more in the Anglican, and certainly in C.S. Lewis's side, there would be more of a trust in the intellect and mm -hmm. rhetoric and logic and you know uh, gk chesterton is kind of in the same mm -hmm. the same boat but yeah, he was he's a catholic right he was a he convert was a to catholicism oh uh, yeah okay. he i think he was somewhat similar to c.s lewis beforehand if i remember right and if somebody out there can correct me but from what i remember he came to catholicism and he was a convert um and, and you know and frankly we've got to be careful because uh there, there are some good things you can get, 
but there's some dangerous things you can get. And sure. when you start leaning on the the brilliance of how someone puts something, mm-hmm. um, you know, the wisdom of this world is very subtle and it can bring you down. So I, I think just that, that knowledge and, and uh, what I, I've always wondered what it is, what is it about apologist? Uh, what do they call apologists that, you know, slobber over C.S. Lewis. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's partly because it's it's the wisdom of man. It's like I still want to be cool in the world, um, but right, you get down right. to it, the the cross is is foolishness. It's foolishness because it shows huh. it's the it's the power of God. It's the weakness of God, and yet it's more powerful than than man's strength. But That's you can't good. be cool and be Christ-like. Those those two things just don't really go together. Wow. Very true. It's resonating with me now, especially in a special way because of the things I've been dealing with lately. But yeah, honestly, I think this is the where, where I, I thank God for Ruckman. A brilliant intellect, but, you know, granted he may have overshot here and there. Who who doesn't? Uh, <laughs> but he did that. That's what he really helped me with, being a university student myself, a voracious reader. Um, he really exposed the wisdom of man. Hmm. and belittled it and so magnified the word of god and it, it's it's one of the greatest blessings in my life because i could hmm. see the kind of ap- apologetics minded christian not that apologetics are wrong but the kind of the kind of uh, rhetoric that's held and the arguments and the line of thinking there's there's a there's a whole paradigm there's a whole way of thinking mm-hmm. uh that goes behind that 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 uses the bible verses almost as simply supplemental Mm-hmm. to the reasoning. And I realize that can be helpful in winning an atheist to the Lord. Uh, that's great. But then once you win him, you've got to, he's got to also uh, be, um, be able not to rely on his newfound wisdom and go for the scriptures that his faith would rest in the, in the wisdom and the power of the wisdom in the power and the wisdom of the word of God, not of men. Mm-hmm. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Power of God. Thank you. And 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 that is exactly what um what God brings us to. You, you can't get saved unless you're humble. And humble to what? Uh and again people say, "Well, how can you be humble if you're not Christ-like? Man is proud, man is rebellious." Well, yes he is. But as a rebel, he has to come to God. He has to come to himself like the the prodigal son in a sense and say, you know, here I am, and my father is there. I will arise and go to my father, and I'm going to say to him, uh, I've sinned. And, and I think with the, with, when logic is your God, when logic is like, okay, wait a second, that's the mathematics of, of Christianity. You can't argue with 2 plus oh. 2 equals 4. I mean, you just can't argue that. Well, okay, that's true. If you want to, if you want to break that down, you could say logic is what? It's, it's the word. That's what the word is. It's the same word um, for the word. And what what did the Lord came when, when He came? He didn't come in uh, the the place the schools of Gamaliel, you know. And He didn't come in academia. He came in a synagogue, a small gathering of Jews, and He opened the Word, and He said, "This book is talking about Me." That's how he approached Great. it. He approached Great. it with the word. And yeah, he knew it was in man. And, and he, but even when he was confronted with Satan himself, 
what did he do? He quoted the word of God. It is written. And that's what forces us. At the end of the day, all your logic, you can prove that an unsaved person is illogical. Okay, that's not going to force them to get saved. That may It may cause them to say, okay, I don't know everything. It might help them to humble themselves. Okay, but at what point, at some point in their humility, they have to turn to the cross and say, I need that. And until they're willing to do that, and until you're willing to preach that, they're never going to get saved. They have to hear that Jesus Christ came to die for them as a sinner and that he rose again and believe that that payment is sufficient to assuage the wrath of a yeah. holy God. And he dies on a tree because we messed up by a tree. Mm, yes. <clears throat> you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm talking about like how addiction to drugs illustrates the, physical, the, the literal reality of Genesis 3. But think about it. The one commandment that God gave us, uh, and, you know, there had to be a commandment given to for God to show his His sovereignty, his lordship. Um, but the, the one commandment God gave us had to do with don't put that in your mouth. And how hard is it to control our mouth? It's till till this day, that's the hardest thing. I mean, in the West here, gluttony, and we don't talk about it, especially as Baptists, but I mean, how hard is it to control what you put in your mouth? Even when you know the thing is not going to be good for your health, you hmm. still you still put it in there. Hmm. It, it, it's 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 amazing to me. That's Genesis chapter three. It struck me especially with force one day. My my firstborn Rebecca, um, the first time I had to reprimand her, uh, we were in our in our little three and a half apartment. We, we call them three and a half in in, in Canada. It's a, it's a one bedroom apartment, and uh, there was a plant that Sally had. My wife. And Rebecca was reaching outside the crib, ripping up the leaf of the plant and putting it, putting it in her mouth, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and I said to say, you know, like, don't put that in your mouth. And as soon as I, <laughs> that was the first time I reprimanded her for anything. And it just right there, man, it just hit me. Like the first thing I had to, the first, my first commandment to my daughter was don't put that in your mouth. <laughs> wow. You just re, you, you, you know, it's a recapitulation of Genesis chapter three and everybody's little in their lives you know the mm -hmm. things that it's the mouth it's this thing james says you can tame everything but you can't you can't tame this thing mm -hmm. help me stop yeah. eating <laughs> it's just, it's just, yes help, help me stop smoking help me stop saying these things mm. well and 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 i think that's the 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 challenge for everyone is recognizing that where my will and god's will cross I have to humble myself to what he says. And then in the spiritual realm, okay, here's where the lawyers come along and say, well, how much is too much? You know, how long is too long? How short is too short? And what mm. we have, what we end up with Pharisees um, who are going around adding to the scripture. But how do I know whether I should be putting something in my mouth? So for instance, I have kids that uh, love to drink monster energy drinks or, or actually not monster, but Red Bull and, you know, all the flavors and everything. And I'm always telling them, man, how healthy is that? That's not healthy. Do you realize yeah, what that's doing? Touch that stuff. And, but th what's crazy is they don't care if it's healthy or not because they have their experiences. I'll always feel this way. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm not worried about the effects of this because I have this strength. And then two, it, she saw that it was pleasant to the eye and it was good for food, right? And desired to make one energetic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and no, if you're if you're if you think I'm preaching against Red Bull, 
I am. No. <laughs> the, no, the concept, he, Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And that goes for some of us who like to have our coffee. Like, I, you know, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee is not a Christian statement. <laughs> you know, all I need is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. You know, these, <laughs> these idiotic statements. I just want to, like, what? Leave, stop with the coffee quotes. But it's interesting how we get so wrapped up in these little things. Like, I have to have this, and you do not have to have it. If you have to have it, then it has control over you. Yeah, I will not be brought under the power of any. By the way, that that uh, that commandment too of the Lord is the answer to what well, if God didn't want me to do it? Why He created? Uh, you know, like when it comes to drugs or tobacco or whatever. And and granted, you know, I don't have a clear verse that says you can't that thou shalt not smoke. Granted, but I'm trying to reach something deeper here. I don't want people to get hung up on the particular particularity of the examples. But mm -hmm. the line of thought that says, if God didn't want me to do this, why did he create it? You know, like if God didn't want me to do coke, why did he create it? Well, he created the, he created the knowledge of uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It didn't happen on its own. And yet still forbids man from access to it, which shows you that just because something God created, just because God created something, it doesn't mean that you automatically are allowed access to it. There's some things that are corrupt in this world. Or there's some things that are to be put to a certain use, but not that use. Mm. Yes. And, and and a lot of times we just get fixated on the one thing that we can't have. Because yeah. in chapter 2, verse 5, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow right. every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Okay, so the one thing mm -hmm. that you're missing there is that extra wisdom, right? And most people don't eat and drink things so they can get wisdom. Um, but that idea that, well, if I can't have this, then it's just not fair. Remember when I was a kid, I had an earlier bedtime than my older sisters. I have six older sisters and it was, it was like, okay, they had, they could go to bed at 11, but I had to go to bed at 10 o'clock. Can you believe that? And man, nowadays 11 seems a lot later than it used to. It used to feel like 11 o'clock mm. was like, what in the world? That's not even late. And I have to go to bed an hour early. Well, who gives who gives my parents the right to force me to do that? I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair. And you know, what you do with the leaders that God's given you is what you're doing with God. And that's the biggest struggle. You know, if you'd ask Eve, you know, by doing this, you're you're showing your hatred for God. No, no, I love God. I want to experience more of God. I, I want to know more of who he is. Uh, I want to know everything that he's created, but the Lord forbade that. And I find it uh, not ironic at all, that connection there, because there are many, many a cult in America that's been started by a woman who just wanted to know more of God, just wanted to be closer to God. And hey, there's nothing wrong with being closer to God and wanting to know him, but it is going to come with some guidelines and boundaries. Yeah. You've got to be careful. When you if open you love your me, mind, keep my commandments. Yeah. Mm. It's, um, um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, we're going to, I mean, that's, we're going to go into Genesis 3. There, that's going to be, hopefully, we can get the, some ladies that can come on and help, help us <laughs> if they would, please. But yes, I mean, it, 
we're begging I mean, them, but they don't want to. We have such yeah. good Christian wives that yes, they don't want to take the mic at all. Yes. But, you know, when you're saying that we people want what they can't have, you have all those trees and you can't have that one tree. Uh, you, that's David. You know, David lived that. He had hmm. a whole bunch of women and Saul's wives too. God gave him into his bosom. Hmm. You know, and uh, and he goes for Bathsheba and, and uh, Nathan tells him, he gives him that analogy of a, a wayfaring man, a rather rich man who receives a wayfaring man and he spares to kill of his own flock and he takes the one. <laughs> you know, I mean, look at everything God did give you. I, I can't enjoy this. We Look at everything the Lord gave us to enjoy. Hmm. And I, I know it's easier said than done. I, I get some people like don't have legs to walk, you know. Um, we've got a, the sister of a, she's a Christian, a Christian lady. Her sister was also a Christian, was born without legs and hands. Hmm. You know, she's a, she's a great Christian woman, good Christian woman. Uh, content with what she has, what with what a lot uh, God allotted to her. There's some things we can't have because of a little physical nobility. Um, hmm. but there's a whole bunch of things that we can have. And that's what Thanksgiving is about. You know, Thanksgiving, you guys are coming up. Thank you for all the trees, Lord. I can have this mm. and I can have that and I can have this and I can have that. Mm. Wow. And isn't that what happened in, in Romans? When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful. Um, the Gentile nations, they all follow the same trajectory. They had the knowledge of God and yet, they were not thankful for what they had. And so they, you know, they gave them up. And now they have to replace that God that they knew. And they have to create another God that's <clears throat> made like to four-footed yeah. beasts. And, you know, it, you have to have something that represents another entity outside of yourself. Something that you can uh, worship. Something that you can adore. And, and the fallacy, the inconsistency of worshiping something that you made um, what is that? Well, it's just a corrupted vestige of when God made man and gave him the ability to be fruitful and multiply, in a sense, continue his image in the earth, and mankind ruined it, and now he's looking for other things to put God's image on, and just destroying it and cre and corrupting it as he goes. Uh, and so I, I think as as we wrap up here today, I want to, I want you to, to think about this, uh, in your life, if there's not something frustrating you, then it's probably because um, you're not thinking about it. Uh, if you look at your life mm. and you're completely happy with everything, then you really don't have an opportunity to be Christ-like. Because you think about Christ, who in, he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that which stoned us the prophets and uh, uh, killed us the prophets, stoned us them which ascended to thee. How oft would I have gathered thee as a hen gathered chicks? And you would not. Uh, even Christ himself, he said, how long shall I suffer you? Um, he groaned within himself and uh, at the unbelief. Even Christ on uh, in his earthly ministry was constantly frustrated by things that he wanted to happen and didn't happen. Um, and And what that does is it allows us to remember that we're not in control. And even Eve standing there before sin, and she's standing there frustrated, thinking if she would have said no, she would have had to bear a little frustration that I don't get to have that. 
um, is a little bit of, of some type of suffering or pain to deny herself what her flesh wanted. Uh, and so you and I are going to have that in our life. There's going to be something where it's just not going to fit. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a, a relationship that you have. Maybe it's a physical difficulty, financial, mental struggle. Uh, maybe it's an effect of some decision you made in your past and you can't get away from it. Um, don't try to run from it and take the devil's easy solution. Just trust the Lord. Keep walking with him. Uh, you're going to have suffering and pain, but you're going to, you would much rather have the suffering and pain that comes with following the Lord than it, the one that comes with walking with Satan. Yeah. When you were, uh, you remind me of another cross reference, uh, because yes, it's a little pain, as you were saying, to deny ourselves something, but the pain of knowing what we actually were after knowing is excruciating. The Lord is really mm. saving us with more pain. In Revelation chapter 2, <clears throat> the church in Theatira, the Lord commends those which have, quote, which have not known the depths of Satan, mm. that knowledge of evil. And uh, you can be fascinated by, by that thing. You can be fascinated, all you know, by the, by the dark side, as it were. Mm -hmm. But then, once you go and you discover it, you wish to high heaven. To high heaven, you had never known that. Mm. You wish to high heaven. The, the the pain on the other side. Eventually, there's pleasure in sin for a season. And what you're left with, though, on the other side of that, the searing pain of shame. I mean, yeah. You know, we're going to know good and we're going to get the knowledge of good and evil. We're going to be as gods. Yeah, we did become like God. You know what we knew? The first, you know, the first thing Adam and Eve knew? They knew that they were naked. Wow, some knowledge. I really want to have that. That's shame, essentially. Mm. That's the knowledge we obtained. Mm. I mean, they like, here, you got it. Go ahead, take it. And, and, and it'll, that shame will eat you up for the rest of your life until you, you find the. You know, atonement in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that gets you peace for it. But that's that's a knowledge that I don't want to. You know, unfortunately, I know it, but I really, you know, the older you get, and you see how wicked the world is, and how wicked sin is, and how wicked you are. We're all longing for childhood, really. Mm. And and what is that? That's back in the day where you didn't know evil. Mm. Would to God we had never known it. Would to God we had never known it. Hmm. That's yeah, such a good a good reminder. And you don't have to. You don't have to know that stuff. Um, the Lord wants you to be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Yeah. Um, you don't have to laugh at all the jokes. You don't have to watch all the movies. You don't have to listen to all the music. You you don't have to wear all the clothes. Yeah. Understand and, the filthy overtones. Hmm. Yeah. You know, that's, it, it's amazing because you, you know, the more you know about evil, the more that you understand where something is headed and what it's connected to. And you got to maintain a little bit of a, um, a hair trigger conscience when it comes to that mm -hmm. stuff, you know, mm -hmm. like, like, like Joseph. I mean, what did Joseph do? There was nothing that was really wrong that Joseph didn't do anything wrong, but he fled from Potiphar's wife because she had evil intentions and he could have stayed there and argued with her and said, 
no, no, no. I was trying to help her. Like she's far from God and I want her to know the true mm. God. Um, and we argue with ourselves and we justify it. And if we'd stop and think about it, what we're really doing is we're buying time to see if maybe God will let us do it. And that's what, that's what Eve did. She just sit, st- sat there and she saw and she considered and she spent time with yeah. Satan. And yeah, that Dina, time. Dina went out to see the daughters of the world, the Bible says, mm. in Genesis 34. And she ended up basically date raped. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure she regretted that knowledge. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and uh, you know, I, I was in an Amish country. Uh, do you have Amish? I think you have Amish communities in Canada, various places. Uh, we have Hutterites. Well, Hutterites in the West. We have Hutterites. Mennonites. I don't know about okay. the Amish so much, but they're first cousins, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go there, uh, you're confronted. And I understand, you know, we have all the, the expose masters out there. You know, there's a lot of evil in the Amish community and all that. And, hey, listen, there's evil in the heart of man. So whatever man yeah. is, you're going to have yeah. that. There's but, evil in the garden, yeah. For sure. Um, but but it is, an, it is an instructive thing to realize how far along we've gone with culture that says, okay, well, why do we do this? Well, we do it because other people started doing it. And so we just go along with it. Uh, just because thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. And just because everybody else is doing it and they try to make you feel like you're a, a newbie, that you're a, yeah, a neophyte. Yeah, yeah. You Never know. been kissed, a virgin, you know. Yeah, the, the, the devil has managed in the culture to associate shame with innocence rather mm. than with guilt. Excellent point. Yes. So you're actually ashamed of not being ashamed. Right. Which is which is unbelievable. That's that's how good he is. But he said, Woe unto them that call good evil and evil good. And and the Lord the devil has gone in, someone said, into the store window and he's swapped the price tags. And mm. so what you have is something that's worthless, that's shameful, and should should really uh cause you to turn away with embarrassment. But now that seems to be valuable. And Mm. the more that I live, the more I see what he's done. He keeps pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And now guys look like girls, girls look like guys. And it's just not cool anymore. It's not cool. And I I look at it, it seems when you see a place like an Amish community, not that that's self-righteous and holiness and not that that's so holy and godly. It's just that it has not been affected by the pressure of culture Mm. and the pressure of culture is what? Who's doing the cool thing? And when you keep pushing and pushing and pushing, the further you go, the more disgusting it gets. And then you contrast that with what everybody looked like 150 years mm-hmm. ago, and you just see the sickness of sin and how it's a disease that affects you. And I can almost see Adam and Eve as they go into their you know, 200th, 300th year. And and Adam looking across the breakfast table at Eve and, and seeing the yeah. wrinkles on her face and seeing her hair totally silver and the the haggard look she must have had, the effects of that sin that she never recognized would have been there. And then going out and bringing flowers to Abel's grave and remembering those days of what it was like before. And, and how she, her actions have affected everyone else. And yet then looking down and seeing the coat of skin that yeah. she was wearing and remembering that, that God 
was the answer before the sin, and he's still the answer after the sin. Yeah. What a what a God. I wanted to share with you one last thing. Um, I don't know how related it is, but when you were talking about the you know the the, the shame and innocence, I was uh, walking around the house. It's Halloween just passed, and there was like Halloween decorations. <clears throat> It struck me as a deep thought. I'm I'm not sure I get it myself, but for some reason it just um, resonated with me. There was a I saw I passed by a house as I'm walking around, and they had a skull hanging from a tree branch. You know, a well done decoration. It spent money on it. Hmm. And now I happen to be praying. Okay, just to, to people get. I don't walk around praying. I'm not that spiritual. Okay, hmm. So please don't get that idea. It just so happened that that's what I had gone out to do. And I think because of that, I was, I was in that mindset. When I saw that skull uh, looking back at me, um, the my first reflex was I could just reach that skull, put my fingers into those orbits and my thumb into that mouth and just uh, crunch that thing, just um, squash it with my, with my hand. And I realized, and you know, I'm not the most courageous guy. Um, and I realize it's, it's almost like what hit me was what, what gives you the reason why, um, holiness, um, but Grady, Grady has a comment on Proverbs chapter 28, verse one, the righteous are bold as a lion. He paraphrases it as, as, uh, that boldness is a byproduct of holiness. You know, and that kind of initial, usually I don't have that reaction when I see those things. Um, but I think I had that reaction because I was at that moment in communion with the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it was, it's not because I'm, you know, and, um, holy, the, the, when you are in contact with God, then you see those those bikers with the skulls that are aflame and the horns of the devil. And, um, you know, I, I realize they're just decorations, but sometimes they can be a signal of something that is really intimidating. I mean, the head of the hell's angels, that's how the hell's angels operate in Canada. The higher up you go in rank, you get tattoos, you get your wings. Um, and they're pretty serious people. You don't just, you don't, you don't just mock them and say that's decoration. I mean, those guys are real about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I realize that it, it basically contextual. It, it puts things in perspective that all that, um, you know, I'm the devil. I got horns and canines dripping with blood, and I'm a torture master and everything. I realize that, that in contrast with holiness is such utter weakness. Holiness reminds that evil that you are actually the weak one. Hmm. You know, it's and I realize that when when we were with the when people fear before evil, when they fear before the skulls and the ghosts and they fear before the, the phantoms and the evil spirits and the unclean spirits and the aliens and the demons, they're, they are fearing because of a, because not because they're good. They're fearing because they're evil, just less evil than what is confronting them. Because mm. goodness doesn't fear. Holiness actually triumphs and strikes terror in the heart of evil. Mm. Evil doesn't strike terror in the heart of good because that's how it's presented to the Satanists that like, you know, ah, I'm 
I'm, you're courageous, you're wicked and evil. And holy people are like little scared people. It's not that at all. They're scared precisely because they're not holy. They're scared precisely because they're evil. They're just lower on the level of evil than the thing that's confronting them. Mm. Because holiness strikes fear in evil. Goodness strikes fear in evil. That's uh, I, I don't know if, if I communicated that well, but just it just kind of like all it just yeah. Well, you, just clicked you know, in that minute, second. In in when Eve chose to take that fruit, he the Lord said, "In the day thou either eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die." At that moment, she came under the power of yeah death. The devil's the one that has the power of death, and when a person is born again. He delivered, and it says, deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And when you're infatuated with death, it's revealing the bondage that spiritually you're in. You're afraid. Like when, mm -hmm. when, when you know that you're saved, you're not afraid of dying. You're mm -hmm. afraid of what it takes to, to go through the valley of the shadow of death. You're afraid of the pain, but you're not afraid of the unknown on the other side. And, and there you had um, in your mind a, a kind of a righteous, righteously indignant moment of, I want to crush this. And you see that in the Old Testament of, of you know, a prophet who dug up the bones and, and strewed them on the graves and, and said, you know, this is, this is wicked. I was thinking of something that happened back in, hmm, I think it was actually October 6th. It's kind of hard to believe that it was it looked like the day before, but th th this is when the article came. There was an American tourist in Israel, and he was touring uh, the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. And he came under what they call a mental disorder called the uh, called Jerusalem Syndrome. Syndrome, yeah. And it's when people, tourists, foreign pilgrims, they start believing that they are people from the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. So he's in he's in this museum and he sees these two ancient roman statues uh one of uh, uh athena and uh pagan deity of, i don't know what and, and what he did was he goes over and he just he knocks it down and it falls off its pedestal i, I couldn't help but think of dagon and um it, it gets broke, broken into pieces and so now he's got a you know and he was apparently jewish because he said he did that because they were idolatrous and contrary to the Torah. And what's interesting to me is this. We would look at that man and say, he's suffering from a syndrome. And yet there are millions of people, uh, I don't know how many, but many, many people that are going after the same dark deities of Odin and and Thanos, you know, the, 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 studying the yeah. history of of these ancient deities and do they have power and they're afraid of them and they're afraid of blood and vampires and werewolves and all these things. And why it's because they're going back to the one that has the power of death. Yeah. They're investigating the power of Satan. Yeah. It's, it's, it's devils that should fear, you know, I mean, you're, you're looking, a skull is looking back at you. You're reminded you're a skull. Mm. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just your bones. You're nothing. It's, you know, it, it's really like it's it, it's sin that's supposed to be ashamed. It's sin that's supposed to be fearful, not holiness, yes. not goodness. That's why they tremble in the presence of the Lord. There was there was a day I, I remember at one point I was, you know, I was reading about this um, where Ezekiel talks about 
the devil through Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the type of the devil, and he says he shall be comforted over the, all the multitude that he's going to see with him in, down in hell. The devil basically, and I was kind of depressed about this. I'm like, man, the devil is so hard-hearted that even when the Lord lands him in the in hell, he's still over there kind of rejoicing that, you know, at least I did it my way, and I remain, you know, uh, what is it, uh, uh, Invictus, like uh, undefeated. Mm -hmm. I, I remain undefeated. I, you may you may have put me in hell, but you haven't broken my will. And look, everybody I, I brought down with me. And something that really got indignant about me, I was upset about it. I'm like, Lord, like, I mean, you're God. How I know his heart is harder than a piece of, piece of the nether millstone, as God describes him in Job. And I get that he's comforted over his entire multitude in hell. But Lord, something doesn't seem right with this picture here. If the devil remains unbroken, even in his eternal punishment. And that's when the Lord remind me about when the devils would meet the Lord Jesus Christ, just at the side of him, they would cry out, torment us not, art thou come to torment us before the time. And of course, the devils are just pieces broken off of the main devil. Uh, they're connected to him. That's the reaction of devils to the mere presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and it just, and basically the Lord is showing me that the devil is something in him dreads the torment and he will suffer the torment and it just comforted my heart and maybe car it's caric caricaturish kind of illustration but i was i mentioned to the church sometimes oh, uh, in the lion king there's a there's a scene in the lion king it, we just came off of ha um, halloween maybe that's why the stuff's coming to mind but uh, <laughs> and it's you know the lion king story is in a complete ripoff from beginning to end of the bible story of the lord jesus christ and the father and you know and the antichrist and things like that and you've got the hyenas they are terrible. Everybody's afraid of them. Um, and they're there in their little conclave there in some cave somewhere. And they're talking about the, the father, the king, Mufasa. You know, you know and one of them mm -hmm. says, Mufasa. And the other hyenas tremble. He says, don't say that word. You know, I, I get the shivers every time you say that word. One of the hyenas <laughs> says, Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. And all the hyenas start trembling. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I love that scene, but I think that's exactly what goes on. Now, mm. All those devils, evil puts such a front of I'm cool, I'm strong, I'm powerful. Mm. And in the name of Jesus, man, it just sends shivers down their spine. And I'm reminded of Brother Gippa. He's, uh, when he was a youth pastor, a couple of the girls came back to him complaining that they had rung on a doorbell. And the guy that answered said, I'm a Satanist. Tried to scare them. <laughs> and he says, next time that happens to you, just start laughing uncontrollably. And then he's going to ask you why you're laughing and tell him because you picked a loser. And, and sure enough, a few weeks later... You know, they knocked on some door. This guy said, well, I'm a Satanist. Ha, ha, ha. These two little girls, you know, from church. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they took his advice. They just started laughing. And he's you like, know, why are you laughing? He's like, because you picked a loser. <laughs> and kinda, at the end, they were the ones smiling. And he was the one who lost his, his smile. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a blessing. Oh, man. At, at the end of the day, we're supposed to, you know, we, we are light in the Lord. We were sometimes darkness. Now are you light in the Lord? Walk as children of light. You know, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. You know, it, it, this is not the day to, to dive into uh, Dungeons and Dragons, um, Ouija boards, and and all of the uh, the darkness. Okay, listen. Why would you want to fellowship with something that's in the darkness? Why would you want to build your life and 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 your leisure time around? things that um are destroyed if they're not satanic they stand in uh as representatives mm. Mm. for the satanic uh why would you want to do that 
Um, the Lord is the Lord is the one who is the conqueror. Uh, he's the one. He has all the power. And when he comes, the Bible says uh, he's going to come. The sun of righteousness is going to arise with healing in his wings. It's going to be the brightest sun you've ever seen. And right. that's your future. That's your future. And so stand. Stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand against the darkness. Stand firm. Don't get discouraged. Uh, this is a dark world out there. But don't listen. Don't follow with, uh, with those who are evil. Follow those who are good. God's going to give you the strength to do it. Well, Brother George, it's come. It's, it's that time. We have to bring it to a close. Any final words? No, that's it. I had a good time. I hope it's Amen. a blessing to everybody. Don't forget, if you'd like to get in contact with us, um, you can email us at witsendguys at gmail.com. And we look forward to talking to you next time around. God bless you guys.